So, of course, we introduced the series last week, and what we said last week was that we can have one of two perspectives when it comes to marriage and really life. And we said that we can either have the simple view, which is the, the narrow-minded, naive view, and it's, it's the view of life, the simple-minded view is the view of life that can't see beyond the current circumstances. But what I, I hopefully posed to you through the Word of God was that the prudent view is the wise view is the long view of life. And then when you have the long view of life, you realize that the decisions that you make now affect your future. So we talked about that. We talked about that at length. I want to introduce um, this week's uh, content with a story. When I was in college, I decided that I was going to start learning how to play golf. I didn't grow up playing golf. My dad at this time didn't even play golf. And so I kind of got the golf bug, but I didn't just get the golf bug. I got the whole swarm and I went weird whenever, I mean, my whole the weight and my wife is shaking her head. Yes, she can confirm this right now. So it, I just got so weird. Like my clothes changed, everything changed. I was consumed with it. This is before YouTube. So just to date the reality of this, but I got so consumed with it. I automatically started reading magazines and I never read magazines before. And I started looking at my swing as if I had a swing and looking at everybody else's swing. And I'm watching TV like hours of golf. And some of you are bored already thinking about it. And like, that was my reality. And so I didn't just get the bug. I got the whole swarm and I was consumed with it. But when I, I focused on it and I focused a lot on it, as a matter of fact, this is the time that I was in college, that Marla and I were both in college, but um, my, most of my classes were at the airport and it was so convenient because the golf course was literally five minutes down the road. So I would have an hour for lunch and instead of eating my lunch, I literally would scarf my lunch, go to the golf course and I would chip and putt and then go to the driving range. And I did this day after day after day. And what happened was I started out horrible and then as time went on, I got less horrible. And then I got, I got okay and I never really got good, but I got okay or maybe kind of good um, from where I started. And yet I put all of this attention into my golf game and it improved and it was amazing. But there was this shift in my golf game where I thought, you know what, I'm okay. I shot like a 92 one time and I thought I was ready for the PGA Tour and everything was great. And then I just got complacent. And then there was a shift where I didn't go out and work on it anymore. I didn't go out and chip and putt as much as I did anymore. And then years later, then I kind of sloughed off when it came to my golf game. And then because of that complacency, my game suffered. You see, that is such a great illustration for a marriage. Because we go into marriages, and even in single life, we go into life and we put all of our focus in one area. And then after a while, maybe time, maybe consequence, maybe kids, maybe a job, maybe, maybe a, a college degree, something is just like things just grind us down and we become complacent. And in the middle of complacency, when it pertains to marriage, is the place where we become so vulnerable. Because in a marriage, there's so much that God has for us, marriage was created for certain things. And you see this throughout the scriptures. Marriage was created first and foremost as an environment for human flourishing. Marriage was created first and foremost for just an environment of human flourishing. If you go back to Adam and Eve, it wasn't good that, that Adam was alone. So Eve was his companion created, created with him as a part of human flourishing because he would have been lonely without her and he needed her. So as an environment of human flourishing, we're going to see this in the weeks as we continue in this series. It was also created as an example for the gospel. 
It was an example for the gospel because when you get in the middle of a committed relationship and you say to your spouse, I'm in this thing till the very end, that is the same thing that Jesus did as an offer of salvation for your sins, that he was gonna be with you, that his presence would be with you to the very end of your life. And that it would take forgiveness and it would take confession in your marriage. And it was, it's gonna take hard work. And Jesus did the hard work for you. And as a consequence to the cross, that we confess and we repent and we turn back from that and he never gives up on us. And we should never give up on our spouses. So it's an example of the gospel. We're gonna see this also, this is crystal clear in Ephesians 5, crystal clear. But also, marriage is this. Marriage is for friendship. It's for friendship. See, if you are not friends with your spouse, and I would say if your friend is not your, if, excuse me, if your spouse is not your best friend, you are in trouble. And I say this not from a, a place of, I've got it all figured out. But I'm saying this from a place where I've counseled people and hours and hours and hours after they've had kids and they get decades into a relationship and they realize they didn't even know their spouse at all because their life revolved around their kids. So it's for friendship. We see this in Proverbs 2. And also, it's to give and receive unconditional love. Because when two sinners get together in a marriage and they covenant with God and covenant with one another and they have witnesses of that commitment that they've made to one another. It's the giving and receiving of unconditional love saying, you know what? I love you no matter what. I love you when you come home, when you come home and you've just got that thing about you that I just don't like, but I love you anyway. I love you in the morning when you're not very lovable. I love you before those two, those two cups of coffee and you become human. I, lo I love you then. It's the unconditional love and that's what marriage was supposed to be. I love what Timothy Keller said in this quote. He said that marriage is to help each other to become our future, our future glory selves, the new creations that God will eventually make us. Wow. There's something so profound in that statement. It's to help each other. So there's, there's a sanctifying work, there's a spiritual work, there's a holiness that comes with marriage. And it's to become our future glory selves. That's the people that God ultimately is making us to be. And our spouses are there to help us, to refine us into being that person. The new creations that God will eventually make us to be. See, so you see with this, and also what you just saw on the screen, that there's a lot of potential. And yet we see that this potential means that, that the showdown, the spiritual showdown, most likely, uh, for that's warring on your soul and warring on your marriage, because of this great potential that Satan has his, his, his bullseye right on your heart and he has a bullseye right on your marriage because he knows of the great potential that exists there. So today we're gonna do a deep dive into two threats into your marriage. Two, two threats. And I apologize, I'm not gonna be able to go as deeply into this as I would like. But what I'm doing is, I'm just creating an opportunity for you to have more conversations later. The two threats that we're gonna address today are these. Your unexamined selves 
and some unresolved issues. Your unexamined selves and unexamined issues. Jesus said this in Matthew 15, 19. He says, for out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, and slander. So the bullseye for your marriage and your singleness is your heart. The war that's waging on all of humanity is a war of the heart. And when Jesus says, out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, and slander. Maybe you would think categorically, they just don't all fit together. What Jesus says is, no, 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 they do. This is a, is a holy and sacred place in all of our lives. And what Jesus would say is, out of the heart come these things. This is the source. So today I prescribe to you that guarding your heart and your spouse's heart can keep you from the threats that seek to build a wall between you. When we, you guard your heart, for single folks, you guard your heart. And if you're married, you're, you're also in charge and guarding over your spouse's heart. It can keep you from the threats that seek to build a wall between you, ultimately between you and God and you and your spouse. If you have your Bible, please go to Proverbs 4. We're gonna look at one Verse, And we're going to take a lot of time to describe and pull out this verse. There's so much here. I'm not actually going to be able to dig as far into this as even what this verse demands. But, uh, but I know that there's going to be other conversations um, that is really going to be just launched because of this talk. So Proverbs 4.23 says this. Above all else... Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. So what Solomon is saying is, above all else, he says, this is the first importance. This is a really big deal. He's like, you can chase a lot of other things. You can chase raising kids. You can chase running after money. You can chase that profession. You can chase that 401k. You can chase the, the perfect neighborhood and the perfect lifestyle and the perfect all of that. He says, you, you can do all that, but you're not gonna do yourself, um, you're not gonna do yourself any favors. Instead, he says, above all else. And isn't that the same thing that Jesus said? The for out of the heart come all of these other evil things. So what he says is, above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. Another translation of the Bible says, above all else, guard your heart, for it affects everything that you do. Everything that you do. That if your heart's not right, then your heart's gonna take you to places that are not the best thing for you, not the best thing for your marriage. So what do we do with that? What do we do with the issues of the heart? When he says it's above all else, this is the highest priority. And some of you, I just want you to know, some of you look at this and you're like, yeah, I've been guarding my heart because I've had so much brokenness in my past. I've been guarding my heart to make sure that nobody else comes in. I've been guarding my heart and I protect my home as my sanctuary and I'm not letting you in and I've never been in a community group or I align myself in a community group where I sit back silent instead of sharing what's really in my heart. That's not guarding your heart. That's not what this verse is talking about. That's not what this verse is talking about. Of guarding yourself from everything and everybody. Because what I know to be true is this. God has placed people right here in your midst to help you guard your heart. That we are here as a community of faith, the family of God to help one another guard 
our hearts. Guard your heart, or to guard in this, in this verse, it means two different things. The first thing it means, it means to stand watch over as a sentry watchfully guards a military encampment against possible enemies of invasion. I know this to be true because I have stood watch for hours and hours and hours. And what I know to be true is at first when you stand watch or stand guard, they pump you up and this is what you have to do. And you stand here and whether you're standing at parade rest or you're standing at attention or you're walking a post, they're telling you these are all the threats. But after a while, after you don't see any threats, you just become blind to it. And then you're like, you become passive to it. Like, ah, it's not that big of a deal. I'm out here. I've got to be here. If I'm not here, I'm going to be in trouble. And the tendency is for us not to be guarding in the way that the scriptures tell us to guard. The tendency is for us to be complacent. And all it takes is a little bit of brokenness. All it takes is a little bit of family issues. All it takes is just a couple bad days. All it takes is, is a week, maybe a bad season, maybe a diagnosis. And then you stop standing watch over anything and you just become complacent. But I love the, the way that this It's rendered out. It means to to stand watch over as a sentry watchfully guards a military encampment. And somebody who has done this, it's looking out for anything that would war against your heart. Anything that would war against your heart. So, to guard here means to be alert and watchful. To be alert and watchful to be engaged, to be present, to be present in your marriage, to be present in your life, to to live, to abide with Christ. That's what this means, to engage, to be looking out. We are people who are supposed to be alert and watchful. Let me give you some other scriptures that pertain to this very topic. In Deuteronomy 5.32, it says, So be careful to do what the Lord your God has commanded you to do. Do not turn aside to the right or to the left. Deuteronomy 5, 32. So, so be careful to do what the Lord has commanded you to do. That means pay attention, be watchful. Joshua 23, 6 says, be very strong. Be careful to obey. Be careful. All that is written in the book of the law of Moses without turning aside to the right or to the left. And this is dealing with idol worshiping and this is just dealing with sin that plagues the heart. Haggai 1.5 says this, Now this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Give careful thought to your ways. And Ephesians 5.15 says this, as if the rest of the verses have not been clear. It says this, Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. And this is directly before the very clear teaching on what the roles of a husband and wife are supposed to be and the roles as to what the children's relationship to the parents is supposed to be directly before it. So be very careful, be alert, be watchful, be engaged, be present in your life. To guard also means this, to guard is to exercise great care over something. I thought of a crystal clear way of illustrating this, and if you've ever had a child or held a child, you know this, you know this is so true because there's nothing more vulnerable than an infant. 
you have an infant and they're like, watch their head, you know, and you're like, oh, nope, caught them, we're good. You know, that never happened, by the way. But like you, you have to hold the head and, and you make the awkward transition. And you're like, you have this part nailed. And then they're like, can I hold them? And I'm like, uh, okay, sure. And then you, you make the pass with your infant who, you know, obviously is incredibly vulnerable and you make the pass and then you're, you make sure that they're, they're, they're ready. So they, they go to put the head there and this protected and like you're close and just in case, you know, it's like, you know, that there's something that needs great care because there's nothing more helpless than an infant. So it, we're, we're operating under the same idea, exercising great care over something. I thought of another way to illustrate this, and I actually thought about this last night. If you've ever seen a greenhouse, a greenhouse is, is an environment to where it's, it's an environment created to where something healthy can grow inside of it. But what a greenhouse does is it lets in exactly what it needs. It lets in light. So in, in the course of a greenhouse, it keeps everything else away that would, that would harm whatever they're trying to grow inside, but it lets the thing that's important in, it lets light. This, I think, is when it comes to a marriage, because of the great potential in a marriage, it's we need to allow, uh, we, we create environments where, where things grow in healthy ways. So that's what a marriage is. It's allowing the people in, allowing the family of faith in to help your marriage grow. It isn't a matter of now I have to, to have great care over this and now I need to remove everybody else away from it. No, no, no. You allow the people in who will, who will help it grow. And if you're single, it's the same thing. You need to allow people into your life to speak the truth of God's word in love to you to help you to give great care over your heart. So some other things about offering Great care. A husband is to guard his wife's heart and soul by giving her love and respect. This comes from Ephesians 5. A husband is to guard his wife's heart and soul by giving her love and respect, primarily. And a wife is to guard her husband's heart and soul by giving him, first primarily, respect and love. I, I could not uh, more strongly recommend a book called Love and Respect based off of uh, based off of what you see on this, what I just shared with you on the screen from Ephesians 5. It's a fantastic way of applying this truth. So it's not just one person. Now I have to manage what's in my heart. When you get into a marriage covenant now, you are bought in to help shape your spouse's heart. And then consequently, you have kids and then you're to shape their heart. Hosea ten twelve says this. Sow for yourselves righteousness, reap the fruit of unfailing love, and break up your unplowed ground. This is in your heart, by the way. For it is time to seek the Lord until he comes and showers righteousness on you. When we sow for ourselves righteousness, what we're sowing into our marriage, what we're sowing into our life is, is all of human flourishing. When you sow for yourselves righteousness, and those who have been made right by Jesus, whose hearts are right with Jesus, we are sowing for ourselves righteousness. That means we invite God and we invite God's people into our life to speak into our hearts so that we can flourish 
as human beings is just God's common grace to all mankind, but also so that we can pursue Christ's likeness in the course of a marriage. That your spouse has been divinely connected or God has divinely appointed them into your life to help you become more like him. That's what God does. And then in the course of that, we will reap the fruit of unfailing love. Sounds wonderful, doesn't it? But first, we have to break up the unplowed ground. We have to to break up the hardness of heart that's created through years of abuse, maybe years of complacency, maybe years of lies, years of hiding from the reality that is you. We have to seek out something to break up the unplowed ground within our very heart and soul. Because life will harden you in ways that you can't even imagine. So, Hosea 10, 12 is to break up the unplowed ground for it's time to seek the Lord until he comes and showers righteousness on you. Thought of farming. I'm far from a farmer. So I'm going to say some things about farming and then people who are in the room are listening to this are farmers and they're going to be like, nope, doesn't work like that. I understand. I'm not a farmer. You are. Okay. But I have the microphone and you don't. So just bear with me. Give me grace. Okay. So here's what I thought of. And I actually, I had to look this up on the internet. Okay. So this is sad. I'm this far away from being a farmer. To have a crop, of course, you don't just throw seeds on the ground and be like, good luck. Like that, you don't do that. I do know that much. Okay, I do know that much. But I do think it goes something like this. You decide what you want to harvest. Then you have to work the soil. And then you break up the soil. And then after you work the soil enough and you break up the soil enough, the soil was hardened and now it becomes softened. And it comes, you break it up and you break it up and you break it up. And eventually the soil, if you've done the soil well, you literally could pick the soil up and you could sift it through your hands. But before you work the soil, it's so hard packed that it would be almost impossible at times to lift the soil up and sift it through your hands. But you have to allow it to be worked through. But then before you plant, you moisten the soil. And then you plant the seed into the soil. Then after you've done all of these things, you water, you fertilize, you let it grow, but you also kill the weeds. Then after a set amount of time and allowing light in, then things will start to grow. And then when the time's right, with whatever you planted and the time's right, and it grows up to the point that it needs, then you can harvest. This is a a great illustration, I believe, of the Hosea text. That's what this is. Could you back up one slide? To sow yourselves righteousness and to reap the fruit of unfailing love, you first have to break up the soil. You have to break up the soil. Because if you don't break up the soil, if you don't allow people into your life to help shape your heart, first and foremost, if you don't allow Jesus to come in and shape your heart, your heart is just hardened. And you can throw as much seed as you want on the soil, but it's not going to grow. You have to allow the word of God. You have to allow Jesus committing your life to Jesus. Become a follower of Jesus. Become a born again believer in Jesus. And after that, then cultivating the soil. Then you sow the seeds. 
of righteousness and letting, and then you'll be able to reap the fruit of unfailing love. But it, it begins with the breaking up the hardness of the heart of the soil. And it also says in another passage in Jeremiah 4, 3, to break up your unplowed ground and do not sow among thorns. Do not sow among thorns. So when you're, you're deciding, okay, what is it that my marriage should be founded upon? It should be founded upon the right things. It should be founded upon the word of God, about a community of believers. It should be founded upon your relationship with Christ and there should be alignment within the course of your family. Don't sow among the thorns, the things that are gonna choke out what you need. The heart can become hard and unable to give and receive love. You see, when two people get married, they're doing this among a lot of other things. They're covenanting with God to help them overcome the brokenness that shaped them. When two people are getting married and you thought it was just because, oh, he's cute or she's pretty or, or he's got this and he's funny or she's funny, there's so much more going on. When two people are covenanting together, they're also helping, to, helping one another to help them overcome the brokenness that shaped them. This is what it says in Proverbs 14, 8. The wisdom of the prudent is to give thought to their ways. To give thought to their ways. How did I get here? Why do I think the way that I think? Why is my marriage in the way, or why is my marriage the way it is right now? To give thought to the ways of my life. But the folly of fools is deception. The folly of fools just is what we've talked about last week. The folly of fools just keeps going without any thought as to what they're doing or what they're sowing their marriage into. So I wanna speak into this and give you some very practical ways to maybe you can put some ideas around giving thought to your ways. First thing I wanna say is this, you need to become more self-aware. And to become self-aware is to be spirit-controlled. To be self-aware is to be spirit-controlled. You're not gonna be self-aware in a way that is gospel-centered unless it's spirit-controlled. Allowing the Holy Spirit of God to speak into your heart, to examine your heart, and then you will become more self-aware the more that you grow in your relationship with Jesus. I believe with my whole heart that one of the very best things that someone can have when they commit their life to Jesus is not just eternity with God, which is fantastic, but also it's a new heart. And part of that new heart is this ability to examine their own life. Now, I want to break this down also. Uh, with self-awareness, there's a word that I want to put up that many of you never have heard of before. It's the word Enneagram. This is a certain test. You can find this online. And it is, it's a way for you to look at your own personality style. So to be self-aware starts with spirit-controlled. Every Christian has the Holy Spirit of God within them and we need to do everything that we can to be in tune with the Holy Spirit of God. We've had series after series in regards to this. But also I recommend that you take this personality style test. I, I have done this. This has dr just dramatically changed Marla and I's marriage, I believe. Because what this did is this allowed me to see the way that I was experiencing the world and people were experiencing me. 
You see, we all are in a box. And, and what the Enneagram showed me was, I'm in a box, but I didn't know that I was in a box. And the Enneagram showed me a way out of the box that I was currently in. And part of this, I, I started to realize the reason why I thought the way that I did, the reason why that I treated Marla the way that I did is because I was wanting her to see the world through my eyes. And she is not me, thankfully. What I say over and over is, is I'm the black and white and she's the color. And that's just two different ways that we see the world. And I've really come to appreciate this because my particular number that pertains to my personality style is drastically different than hers, but they absolutely complement one another. But what this also did is it allows me, once I'd gone and studied this out, it allowed me to see why I was doing the things that I was doing and why I was thinking the way that I was thinking and why I was, I was exper- people were experiencing me because I, want, I was wanting them to be like me and I wasn't appreciating who they were. And this particular test, and there's a lot of tests, I recommend this one, but this particular test says that, said that there's nine personality styles and, and I don't think that there's just nine, but I, I think it's, it's much more wide than that. But I know that this will be a help to you. And for you in your marriage, that way you gain perspective first of yourself, but then also of your spouse. It's helpful. It's helped me a lot. Also, God has put your spouse and friends around you to help you become more self-aware. God has put your spouse and your friends. Listen to what they say about you. If they say, hey, why do you do that? Man, that, you kind of came across really harsh. What's going on inside? Listen to what people say. There are people who, who you can trust and you should trust to help shape your heart. And I realize that, that there's things in your past that hinder this, but God has placed your spouse and your friends to speak the truth about you to you to help shape you. And lastly, I want us to look at, as far as this is concerned, the family of origin When we deny the way that our family has shaped us, we're actually denying our true self. Your family of origin has shaped you dramatically. I heard this story actually this weekend about this this husband and wife who who just had a, they had a dislike and a fear for animals. Not just the animals who will eat you, just animals like dogs and cats. And I thought, wow, that's really interesting. Slash weird. I was just, I'd never heard of that before. But as a course of the way that they were raising their kids, then their kids became aware, or excuse me, they become fearful and scared of household animals, like little harmless dogs and cats. And I'm thinking, man, like that, I've just never even heard of that before. But I, when I heard that story, I thought, wow, how, I thought how much of how much our family of origin shapes the way that we view the world. Our family of origin shapes everything about us. So I have some things here also to say about this. A person with unhealed wounds will form beliefs about themselves and behaviors flow from those beliefs. The reason why you do what you do, if you have unhealed wounds, the reason why you do what you do, the patterns in yourself, you're like, oh, I wish I didn't do this. They can go back, most likely, to someone in your past. So when somebody says, ah, or your spouse says, you're acting like your mother, 
I just want you to know you probably are. Or, oh, you are so your dad right now. And when we want to push back and say, no, I'm not, the answer is, yes, you are. Because with a person with unhealed wounds will form beliefs about themselves and the behaviors flow from those beliefs. This is what Jesus said, out of the heart flow all those other things. And if you have unhealed wounds, you have current behaviors that are already flowing out of that. So if you have a hard time letting people into your life, like you keep people at arm's distance and you always have a smile on your face and you're always the authority in the room and you never become vulnerable, most likely is because you were raised in a way that your parents didn't teach you the value of being honest and vulnerable with other people. Instead, they told you things like, you need to take care of yourself. Well, if, if we can't do it, if you can't do it for yourself, it's not worth doing. Don't trust anyone. That's what this goes back to. There are also some other things that shape this. The, there are some invasive and abandonment behaviors that also flow from the family of origin. So I'm gonna break this down into four different ways. There's emotional abandonment. The, and then I'll give you just some of the invasive things about emotional, uh, the emotional ways that in, invasive behaviors have shaped you. If you had yelling in your home or put downs, name calling, profanity, people telling you that your thoughts and feelings were wrong, people telling you to bury your feelings, these are emotional invasive behaviors or patterns that have shaped your current behavior. Also, there's some abandonment things that have happened that have affected you emotionally. And maybe it was within your home, there was a lack of listening and communication, a lack of caring and nurturing, lack of affirmation or blessing, or maybe it was just keeping secrets. It's just keeping secrets. Everybody's keeping secrets. We can't really tell mom how we really feel because if we told mom how we really feel, everything in the whole family is gonna blow up. So everybody's keep secrets and don't tell mom, don't tell dad, don't do this. That's emotional abandonment. There's also physical abandonment, or excuse me, well, physical abandonment would be just literally being left alone, inadequate physical needs, clothing, shelter, poor modeling of appropriate physical care. Maybe your mom didn't tell you how to be a young lady. This is physical abandonment. Also, the invasive. This is somebody harmed you in one way. The invasive is, is somebody invaded your personal space, if you will. That would be through hitting, pushing, shoving, slapping, hair pulling, excessive spanking, or maybe even sitting watching a family member being abused. These are the ways that your family of origin have shaped you. Also, in a sexual nature, the invasive parts, teasing about body parts. Maybe there was, there was sexual humor that was going on in your home. These things have, have made war against your soul. These things have made war against your heart instead of being the wholeness that God wants you to be and longs for you to be. Pornography, sexual experimentation, sexual abandonment would be True intimacy is not being modeled. And I'm not just talking about the sexual nature, but I'm just saying true intimacy within a marriage, within your parents hasn't been modeled. So now there's this skewed perspective on what that looks like. Maybe in your home, the sexual abandonment would be just even non-sexual touch and just affectionate 
like just putting your hands on your shoulders. You, maybe you didn't grow up in such a way, and that's something that we need as human beings. God made us that way, and if you didn't have that, that is gonna change the way that you experience other people and other ex- people experience you because somebody's gonna touch you on the shoulder and you're gonna pull back. That's the reason why. Also, there's some spiritual invasive things. Maybe you were raised in a home that was just built up with self-righteousness. So much pride and so much calloused hearts that it was keeping everybody else at bay. Maybe it was modeling unhealthy lifestyles. An abandonment way of the spiritual abandonment would be this, the failure to model healthy spirituality in front of you. Just the failure Maybe your mom was so busy and ready. She was just always serving at church and she was always available for somebody else, but she wasn't available for you. That's spiritual abandonment. Or maybe your, your dad, was, uh, he, was, he was a leader in the church growing up and he was, he, everybody looked to him for advice and everybody would talk to him, but yet he never made time to talk to you. That's spiritual abandonment. That's done something to our hearts. Let me give you some other real life examples of abandonment and invasive behaviors. If you were in an abusive home, an abusive home leads to controlling behaviors. An abusive home leads to controlling behaviors. If you had any sort of abuse that happened, it's led to controlling behaviors and you will be the one controlling. And the reason why is because you were abused and there's something just intrinsic in your own being right now that says, I was, I, I was abused, somebody invaded my space, so I need to control all other atmospheres and all in, environments of my life and the lives of those who I'm caring after. And you push everybody else away. And this is the reason why. Also, working to avoid issues at home. That's abandonment. Maybe your dad was, he was always at work and working, working, working. And every time that you knew there was an internal struggle going on with your parents and it was just convenient for your dad, he had to work overtime. And what that does to you and I in those situations is it doesn't teach us how to resolve conflict. It teaches us how to run away from them. Also, if you, maybe your mom was very controlling and you resented it and your relationship now with women is skewed because of your mom's controlling behaviors and because those controlling behaviors and she was so controlling and now you sit back and you're like, you know what? I, I'm, I'm not gonna be controlled anymore and now you become this, this free-flowing independent self because you've pushed away from all that control. And the reason why you're so controlling and you're so manipulative and you keep everybody at bay isn't because you don't trust people. It's because what happened to you from your mom. All of these things have shaped who you are. I have a list of so many more. I don't have time to go any more into it. But I want you to know how you can be helped. And I want to give you this passage of scripture, 1 Peter 5, 6 through 9. And this is what it says. You may, you may be sitting back and saying, man, I don't have these things. Like, what's my next step? How do I have victory in my life? I feel stuck and like, well, pastor, you just pointed out all my problems. What do I do now? 
Well, the answer is to bring him to Jesus, but I'm going to give you a systematic way of doing so. 1 Peter 5, 6 through 9 says this. So humble yourselves under the mighty power of God. Humble yourselves. Go to God as a humble servant, as he is the Lord over your situation and the Lord over your heart. Humble yourselves under the mighty power of God. And the scripture says, and at the right time, he will lift you up in honor. So there's hope in this. You don't have to be stuck with that. You don't have to be stuck with that brokenness. You don't have to be stuck with those family of origin issues. You don't have to be stuck with a broken heart. Then I love what the next verse says. Give all your cares, or excuse me, give all your worries and cares to God. So once you humble yourself before him, you can tell him exactly how you feel. You can just have a relationship with God and allow the Holy Spirit of God to sift through all of your issues in a healthy, loving, nourishing environment. One that is, is centered around the Spirit of God who is only gonna do things to help you. And of course, he may walk you through some dark nights of the soul. He may walk you through some things in your past that you've wanted to, to forget. He may walk you through some, some patterns in your life now that you're, you're trying to ignore. But ultimately, when you can talk to God, knowing that, that his, his care for your heart and soul is good, and that's an invitation, 1 Peter 5, 7. It's an invitation, give all your worries and cares to God. But what I, I really love is the next part. It says, for he cares about you. That God cares about you. So I just want to say in a loving way, stop hiding. God cares about you. He doesn't want you to be stuck. He wants you to be free. The passage continues and it says, stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Stand firm against him and be strong in the faith. You see the heart above all else. Guard your heart. The heart is the place in every person that drives the mind, drives the will, the emotions, and the knowledge of right and wrong. The heart. It's the place in every person that drives all of these things. But one of the glorious things about a walk with Jesus is this, that a Christian is given a new heart that knows God and is known by God. That when somebody commits their life to Jesus, and I'm not talking about becoming religious, because becoming religious doesn't do anything for the heart. I'm talking about the things that matter. For you giving up control of your life, surrendering your life to Jesus, trusting that your old broken down way of living and thinking and believing and your family of origin issues and your personality style, all of those things actually can be victimizing your heart and soul. But when you surrender those to Jesus, a Christian is given a new heart. That's what it says in Jeremiah 24, seven, that a Christian's been given a new heart. And the heart knows God and is known by God. And those who are pure in heart will desire the glory of God more than anything else. So I want to give you some, some things very quickly. First to the singles, I want to say this. About a relationship, first 
the first thing is about a relationship. And we're trying to pursue a purity of heart. If you're a follower of Jesus, you should be pursuing a purity of heart. I wanna say these things to you. You don't have to rush into a relationship. You don't have to be desperate on a person. You need to be desperate for Jesus. You may choose to stay, to stay single. Next thing is this. You don't have to just continually date and date and date and date and date and date. And instead, you can exclusively date those who are going to pursue the glory of God with you. That's what you can do. So you don't have to compromise your, your moral purity. You don't have to constantly date other people and I'm dating, 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 dating. Instead, you can look for the person who's going to be, who, who's, who's already seeing things in the way that you are, who's taken the long view of marriage, maybe the long view of your singleness, and now they can become partners in that journey with you. I want to go through some takeaways, and then we're through. The first takeaway I have for all of us is this. Eliminate the black and white thinking about your spouse and others. Eliminate the black and white thinking about your spouse and others. Things are more complicated than what you, what you currently know that they are, so you need to invite your spouse into a walk with Jesus. So eliminate the black and white thinking. Second thing, don't compare your pain or wounds to others or your spouse. Don't compare your wounds and say, well, we're all more wounded than you and you're, you're, you're not as wounded as me. Instead, just identify the fact that you are wounded and they are wounded and they are placed in your life to help you as a cure, leading to the cure, that being Jesus. Third thing is this, cultivate the emotional space for wounds to be discussed. So you need to cultivate the emotional space for wounds to be discussed. Don't hide anymore. Fourth thing, lead your spouse to discussing their past with a trusted friend. With a trusted friend. Fifth thing, schedule that heart-to-heart meeting. Schedule the heart-to-heart meeting. If you don't schedule it, if you don't make it a priority, it's never gonna be. Solomon said, above all else, guard your heart for it affects everything you do. It's the wellspring of life. Make it a priority. Sixth thing, Lead one another to Jesus. You are in a pursuit of Jesus together. Seventh, confront the lies that you believed. You believe some lies about yourself that you can control certain things or, you know, my parents are this way, but I'm not becoming like them. You most likely are. Just confess it before the Lord first and then others. Eighth, replace those lies with truth. Ninth, live free and forgiven. And then lastly, guard yourselves from further damage. This is when you become the century post over your marriage. So then you're looking out for your spouse and your spouse is looking out for you. You're both engaged. You're both watchful. You're both, you're both in tune with what God's doing. What I've just done for you is I've, I've just created a conversation that's what I wanted to do in this talk. I didn't resolve all of your issues. 
I simply pointed out some. And I know that your lives are complex. I know there's so many more things that you need to talk about. But what I know about this is in the middle of this conversation, it's just like in a game of golf. The game of golf starts with this. You put a golf ball on a tee. And you set it there. And then you drive it. What I've done for you is I've just teed up a conversation. Whether you have a conversation privately, which I want you to. Maybe it's a conversation you need to have with God first. Or maybe it's a conversation you're going to have in your community group. But what I know is this. We're all part of the family of God. And we're all to be doing this together. Shaping one another's hearts. Shaping one another's marriage and shaping one another's singleness. Because this is what Christ compels us to do. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, thank you for loving us first. Thank you for teaching us, God, that we are complex. And the only person who can deal with the complexities of our life is you, God. The God who exists in three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, making us, saving us, and sanctifying us. Lord God, I ask that you would just shroud our conversations with grace. And if we take this message serious, there's gonna be tears. And God, please remind these great people that you care for them, that you wanna shepherd their souls. And then they need to, to break up the unplowed ground of their heart and allow you to grow healthy things in them. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.